Can somebody say amen right there? Thank you, Brother David, for the privilege to be here. Thank you, Brother Shane, for the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful preaching. I'm afraid that we have left off on preaching against sin so long that we have drifted so far from the shore that we just ain't going to turn around and get back overnight. It's going to take a long time to paddle back to where we need to be in our churches. Just as well say amen right there. We need God. I'm preaching one of them messages tonight that I'm questioning myself, but I'm going to mind God and preach what he has put on my heart. And I hope that God will let you get it like he gave it to me. Because if he don't, it's going to be the biggest flop you've ever seen in your life. Brother Steve Price reminded me tonight of what I made mention of last year. All these fine preachers and fine singers. I feel like a mule in the Kentucky Derby. You can laugh all you want to, but at least I'm in the race. Hallelujah. If you'll say amen while I preach tonight, I'm going to tell you like Elizabeth Taylor told her seventh husband. I'm not planning on keeping you long tonight. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 9 in the King James Bible. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the shame of the daughter of my people. Here's our text. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people. Could a preacher give me a witness right there? And go from them. For they be all adulterers as assembly of a treacherous men. Fathers, we're bowing our presence tonight. Lord, won't thank you for Calvary and the blood and the cross. Lord, I'm convinced somebody in this place tonight's wanting to quit on you. Lord, I'm thoroughly convinced, God, you sent a message and you're going to send another one. Help me to be sensitive to the time. Lord, to the people that got to work tomorrow. But just for a little while tonight, let me say just one thing that'll help somebody to keep on keeping on, not to throw in the towel, not to give up, not to quit. God, they'd leave here with a fresh breath of heaven on their soul, with a fresh vision to serve you like they never have before. God, I pray you'd send revival in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Verse 2, Jeremiah said, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men. I wish I had somewheres else to be. But it seems like Jeremiah was under the finger of God and God wouldn't let him get out of his reach. God wouldn't let him get out of his will. Seemed like Jeremiah was more like me and you than we would probably want to admit. Jeremiah often wanted to quit, often wanted to leave, but God wouldn't let him. He dreamed of a lodging place in the wilderness. 
a place that he wanted to go. A place that in Jeremiah's life didn't exist. And just for a little while tonight, I want to preach on this simple subject. I'm glad I didn't have nowhere else to go. <laughs> God takes time or he couldn't run away. God takes time or he couldn't hide. Jeremiah dreamed of that place where he could take a permanent vacation, where he could take an early retirement with benefits, but it didn't exist. For the child of God, there's no place for a permanent vacation to retire with benefits from the work of God and the ministry of God. And Jeremiah here is going to have to stay for a little while longer. There'll be times in our lives that we'd like to run from whatever it is that God's got us doing. But God won't let us do it, and in the end, we'll do like Jeremiah did, and we'll learn that God knows best. <laughs> if we were to study catchphrases in the Bible, we'd study Isaiah's catchphrase, and it'd be, here am I, Lord, send me. But if you were to get one from Jeremiah, it'd probably say something like this. I'd rather be anywhere but here. I'd rather be doing anything but what I'm doing. I'd rather be preaching to any people but thee. Jeremiah's so disheartened. Jeremiah's so discouraged. He's called of God. God put a touch of God in his life. Starts out with a fresh touch. God gives him his place. God gives him his people. God gives him a message. And it ain't too long into the ministry that Jeremiah is rejected. And he's having trouble dealing with people that won't live for God. I'm glad I didn't have nowhere else to go. <laughs> Jeremiah is wanting to escape the responsibilities of the ministry. You don't have to be a preacher to want to escape your responsibilities. Maybe there's a wife in here tonight and a mother. You'd like to escape the responsibilities of your husband or your children. How many of you husbands have ever came home from a hard day's work and you walk in the door and your wife have all the children with clean diapers on them and fed them, tell you supper's on the table. I'm gonna go find me somebody that can complete, uh, that can complete a sentence and not make a mess in their diaper. I wanna go have me uh, some comments. I'm going to Walmart. I don't care, just gotta get out. Amen, the real mama. She won't leave forever. She'll be back that night. But uh, you would like to escape out forever. How many husbands in here and dads the responsibilities of being a husband or a dad. Well, I've got so heavy on you that you'd like to escape it. God forbid, but we know people that have turned their back on their responsibility. They think they found a permanent vacation and an early retirement, but they're miserable tonight. Amen to Jeremiah wanting to do the same thing. Jeremiah, you know what I like about these men in the Bible? They're just as human as we are. They've got like passions like we do. And I wish that somewhere along the line that people would quit thinking that us preachers are without fault. He wanted to escape the responsibilities. He wanted to escape the burdens. He wanted to escape the monotony of what was going on in his life. He's preaching to the same people, getting the same results. 
He preaches, they rebel. He preaches, they reject. He gives an invitation. The same four come out of a multitude of a million. I mean, it's the same thing every day. And if you ain't careful, you'll let the monotonous times get you to a point in your life. You're going to throw your hands up and say, I'm sick of this. I quit. You don't have to be a preacher. God's blessed my brother and I. We... Uh, have had a business for years. We've cut wood and logged and done tree work. And I know what it is to get up every morning, get the same chainsaw out, get the same truck out, go do the same thing. I know what it is to sit in a skitter or a log truck and wish unto God that it was a Corvette instead of a log truck. Somebody say amen right there. Wish unto God my chainsaw was a fishing pole instead of a chainsaw. I know what it is in the ministry to drive mile after mile after mile and count the mile markers one by one. I know what it is to leave my family behind and go preach the gospel. You're going to Wyoming, dear brother. I've made that trip. I know what it is uh, to have that, that, that drudgery in your heart of knowing how hard it's going to be. I know what it is uh, to have times in my life that I just don't want to be doing what I'm doing. And don't look at me like I got a booger hanging out of my nose because you do too. Wish you had somewhere else to go. God allowed Elijah to get on the mountain he told that little boy, he said, go, see, look toward the sea. He went seven times. <laughs> That'd been most of us. We'd come back and said, Elijah, there ain't nothing there. Go again. I don't think I'm going to. There ain't nothing there. I ain't going to look again. Do you know what we do in the monotonous times? We keep on going. And it won't be long. There'll be a cloud the size of a man's hand come over the horizon. And we can be encouraged and the rain will come. He was wanting to escape from himself. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I just don't like me. Forget about you. I got enough problems with me. I can find enough fault with me. And sometimes I just don't like me, but I like being me though. Even though I don't like me sometimes. I like me so much, I'm not gonna be you. Because if I'm not being me, then who's gonna be me? You gonna be me? I might not like the way you're being you, so I sure enough wouldn't like the way you'd be me. Sometimes we just get sick of ourselves. But what did God use? And I like how God sets the atmosphere. It took me years to learn that you don't have to be sweating. I like swinging from the chandeliers. I like running. And if you know me, God has slowed me down tonight. I like running 100 miles an hour, but I'm more interested in what I've got to say than how I say it tonight. And if God's got to slow me down a little bit, so you can get what's being said, that'll be fine with me, Jesus. What did God use in Jeremiah's life to keep him put? Same thing he uses in our lives. Jeremiah just happened to love the people that was hurting him. Chapter eight, verse 21, for the hurt of the daughter of my people and my heart, I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. That word astonishment means horror. It means hurt. It means troubled. His people that he loved, they had hurt him. 
Is there a preacher in the building tonight that people you've loved, people you've prayed for, people you've pulled money out of your wallet to help them, help pay their bills? Have you ever had somebody that you preached to hurt you? If you hadn't, it's coming down the line. It's going to rip the heart out of your chest. There's going to be people in your, not just preachers, but the everybody. You're going to have somebody that you've loved, that you've given your life to. You've got children. You've got church members. You've got brothers. You've got sisters, aunts, and uncles. You've got a wife or a husband that at some time they hurt you worse than anybody ever did. You loved them. You cried yourself at sleep every night. You went to bed thinking about what you did wrong. You woke up thinking about what you did wrong. All the time you wonder what you could have done to have changed those situations. But in the end, you're going to have to come to this realization. You can't change it. It's in the past. There ain't nothing you can do about it now except trust the grace of God. And you have got to find a way to get the bomb of Gilead on your heart and help you overcome your heart. Hurt preacher. Hurt people. They hurt because of their sin. Jeremiah hurt because of their sin. He hurt because of the rebellion. They hurt him. They hurt themselves. They hurt him. So now everybody in this congregation that I preach to you about tonight is hurt. You gotta watch being hurt because you'll be like the old dog that's been beat. You ever want to try to pet a dog that's been beat? It'll stick his tail between his legs. It may lay on the ground. You get close enough, it's going to snap at you. Boy, and I wish I could have learned this 23 years ago when I started out. Everybody that's ever snapped at me, it wasn't because they was upset at me or hurt because of me. There was hurt in there somewhere else. And when you reach out to try to help them, they might take it out on you and you have got to learn to discern the difference. They were hurt. This caused Jeremiah to feel like he was out of touch with his people. You ever feel like you're out of touch with a congregation you're preaching to? Do you ever feel like your words is not even going over the pulpit and landing right there in front of you? And people's looking at you like you're crazy? You've been laying up in a secret place. You've been studying your Bible and you're wondering why in the world ain't they getting out like God put it on me. If I know this service was gonna be like this, I'd have preached something else. I wouldn't have took this good, good juicy nugget and put it out there and waste it. Out of touch and spot the hurt we must. There's only one way to overcome it. We must allow God to love those people through us. No wonder God said the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I'm so sick of this mentality that if you 
preach love and if you love people and if you have charity and if you're merciful and long-suffering toward people, brother, I tell you, they call you a compromiser, call you a liberal, call me whatever you want to. God's, I tell you what we ought to start being doing is being as long-suffering with people as God is. And somebody say amen right there. I'm not talking about sweeping it under the rug. I'm not talking about not dealing with it. I tell you, we ought to be as long-suffering with everybody else is we want them to be with us. Is that a qualified balance statement tonight? I didn't preach like this 15, 20 years ago. I'd have been sitting back here in the pew saying, you compromising liberal. Telling me I'm, yes. We do have verses in the Bible that says, speaking the truth in love. This hurt brought a distance. This hurt brought a close heart. This hurt brought a lack of communication. There wasn't no one-on-one communicating going on between the preacher and the people. Really, most of the communicating going on between this preacher and his congregation was him preaching the judgment of God. He loved them yet he loved them enough to tell them that judgment was coming and loved them enough even though he knew their fate, he still preached. He didn't quit. And it caused a closed heart, a lack of communication one toward another. We've got some newlyweds in the building tonight. I wouldn't embarrass them, but anytime you feel uh, that distance and that lack of communication, deal with it. Don't go to bed angry with your husband or your wife. Told my wife when we got married, I said, woman, I'm marrying you for my whole life. If you ever get mad at me, and I'm sure you will, and you pack your bags, you might as well pack mine too because I'm going with you. But they was some wall building. He's hurt by the people he loved. There's some wall building going on here. He'd preached and the people had built a wall. He'd preached judgment, they'd build a wall. He'd preached love, they'd build a wall. Anything he tried to give them, it seemed like every time he'd stand in his pulpit, get on a street corner somewhere, there'd always be some rebellious member of that congregation with a rock and some mortar in their hand and a trial building a wall. Just get it up as high as you can. Want to get it so high, we can't see you, preacher. Want to get it so high, we can't hear you. Yeah, we may show up Sunday morning, Sunday night. We may just come a little bit, but we're going to have a wall in between us and neighbor the only thing that'll ever tear that wall down it'll be the love of God we're going to have to love them down I mean I'm talking about I mean rip it up now you ask my brother when we get on the job building stuff but I am a number one at tearing stuff down there's an old house to be tore down somewhere. So let me do it. We got to, I'm good at demolition. I just rip it, tear it up. So when I was meditating on this, I said, glory to God, let's tear the wall down. What kind of tools we gonna use? We only got one, it's love. 
I've taken the love of God and tearing the wall down. You better believe it. Wasn't there a middle wall of partition between us and the blood? And you know what the love of God did? It tore it down. Thank God. And I tell you, the love of God in our hearts, men, when we stand to preach, we ought to take the love of God and do everything we can with it. How to rip those walls down, how to close that distance and preach out. I tell you, we got a lot of preaching going on in our day and rebuke him. And it's motivated from a heart of vengeance. Yes, sir. You can tell the difference when a preacher's getting up and he's really trying to help somebody or he's just got a personal vendetta towards somebody. Pulpit's coward's palace. Anybody can stand in the pulpit and point somebody out. And there's a need for that, don't get me wrong, if the time's right, but it takes a real man to walk up to somebody personally with tears running down their eyes and a Bible in their hand. Say, hey, dear brother, let's deal with this issue. We be brethren. Our rebuking ought to be motivated by love. Our reproving ought to be motivated by love. Everything we do to tear these walls down. But then our supplication, our praying ought to be motivated by love. Personal lesson God allowed me to learn about four years ago. There was a certain person in my life. I mean, it was aggravation station if you've ever seen it. I'm talking about one of the most annoying, aggravating human beings on planet Earth. Trouble from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. Might as well took drama and tattooed it across his forehead. So I began to pray. Oh, Lord, would you touch this dear brother? Would you help this dear brother? And the more I prayed for him, the worse he got. I said, great God, what in the world? I said, Lord, am I doing something wrong? More I call on you, more I bombard heaven with his name, the worse he gets. And ain't nothing changed. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me one day. Said, your motive's wrong. You're praying so you get relief. You praying to benefit yourself. Why don't you start praying so he'll get some help? Why don't you pray so he'll get some revival? Why don't you pray that unselfish prayer? Whether you bless me or not, Lord, would you bless my dear brother that needs help from God? You go to praying like that, you're praying in love. You can pray them walls down. That's, that's why I didn't leave. It's because he really loved them. And you watch some of these preachers, they stay and they stay and they stay and they stay. And watch a wife, she stays, or a husband, he stays. I don't know why they stay around in a bad situation. It's because they love them. <laughs> Jeremiah, we whine and complain about the ministry in our days, brother. <laughs> we whine about it. Oh. I'll get up 
next revival meeting I'll leave out on a Saturday. I'll drive, I guess, about four and a half hours one way. I'll get in a nice room in a nice bed. I'll get up, preach Sunday through Wednesday, Lord's will. They'll take me out. They'll feed me lunch every day. And boy, and I'll get to whining about being homesick. I'll get to complaining. It was a four-hour drive, a 20-hour drive. And then I think about Jeremiah. And I say, John, you silly, silly individual. What in the world are you whining about? What in the world? I think about Isaiah. I think about uh, James getting his head cut off. I think about Peter. I think about these men of God that were real preachers. Jeremiah would have traded places with any of us. He'd have loved to have had your dead church as long as it had air conditioning in it. Amen. He loved to have that loud mouth, rebellious woman versus all those adulterous people. He loved them. That's why he stayed. That's why we do what we do. God not only let Jeremiah, I got to hurry. He was in love with the people that heard him, but he was a light in a place of darkness. Jeremiah was a light. Yes, sir. He was a light of his father. God saved him. God called him. God touched him. And Jeremiah walked in that dark city in a lot of places. He was the only light there, reflecting, reflecting the light of his father, the light of God. And beloved, let's... Uh, we forget we need to be reminded that we have light from God that we need to shine in a world of darkness. He was the light. He was a light of the future of all the prophesying that Jeremiah did. He was holding forth the light of the future, but then this one is more practical than all of them. He was the light of his own faithfulness. He stayed faithful. Jeremiah's heart was at war with his duty and his responsibilities. He knew what was right. He knew what he needed to do. But his heart wanted a lodging place in the wilderness. I'm glad he didn't have nowhere to go. The light of his own faithfulness. Hey, Jeremiah, you're helping people whether you realize it or not. It may just be one. Don't you like it? When, and we, us preachers, we should never, never want anybody to testify uh, more about us than we do Jesus. I got in trouble one time in a church, hadn't been back, heard 25 testimonies, and 25 of them was how much they loved their pastor and didn't say nothing about Jesus. I couldn't help it, Brother Price. I stood and said, anybody that gets more recognition in a service than Jesus does is an idol. Hadn't been anybody back. <laughs> I busted their idol. It don't matter. It ought, to, it ought to shame us a little bit, preachers, when they brag on us. I was in a meeting one time, an old boy got up and said, now John Morgan is the greatest preacher that ever lived. He's the best evangelist in America. He's the smartest preacher I've ever heard. 
I'm sitting there under my breath, would you shut up? Don't talk about me like that. I stood before that congregation. I said, thank you for every compliment you gave me, but I want y'all to pray for me that I'll never believe a word he just said. But every once in a while, I said all that to say this, every once in a while, it's good to hear somebody say something like, well, I'll never forget the day God saved me. God let old brother John come by and preach on hell, and I got under conviction. Every once in a while, it's good for somebody in the congregation to stand up and say, hey, preacher, you remember that message you was preaching about three weeks ago? And you're sitting there saying, yeah, man, I wish I'd have never even brought that to church. And they said, I've been meditating on that ever since you preached it. It's helped me more than anything I can remember of in years. You might not think you're helping nobody on the job. You might not think you're helping nobody at church, but your faithfulness is a light to those that are watching you. Just keep on traveling. Keep on preaching. Keep on praying. Keep on witnessing. Keep on worshiping God. Be faithful. You're helping somebody. Couldn't help but think about our old preacher, Brother Rains. His faithfulness to God has impressed me for years. Our dear friend, Brother Stanley Blue's fixing to make a crossing, take his last breath on this side and his first breath on the other side. And if I had a dime for every time Brother Blue preached something to me that helped me, came to my wife and my children and hugged them, loved them, pull a dollar bill out of his wallet and give it to my babies and prayed over me and my wife that God would give us longevity of marriage and longevity of ministry. Prayed over me down there at the Faith Baptist camp meeting, put his hand on my head, both his hands on my head and asked God to let the Holy Ghost be like an artesian well in my heart and preach the gospel and boy to watch him leave out of here having not marred his testimony, having stayed right with God, hallelujah. Thank God, his faithfulness is a testimony. What about old brother Buck Huntley and brother Wade Huntley and these men that have preached around here, how their faithfulness has been a light to encourage us. My brother Matthew brought out a good thought several years ago. He got really hung up preaching on Daniel. He showed me one time in the Bible that Daniel was quoting Jeremiah in his dark day. Now, Jeremiah, if you'd have quit before you got to chapter 29, I believe it is, little old Daniel over there when he needed help from God wouldn't have had nothing. But the light of your faithfulness is why you can't quit. Well, you may be like I was. I got a I got to hurry, but you may be like I was. Started out, I was going to turn the world upside down for Jesus. My plans were and still are. God hasn't allowed it to happen to preach to as many people or more than Billy Graham ever thought about preaching to. That's been my prayer for 23 years. (laughs) Don't look at me like it. I believe you ought to go big or go home, say amen right there. Dream big, neighbor. And I haven't got to preach to the mass multitudes. Seems like God has put me in these congregations 
well, they're not busting out the seams. Me and JP and my nephew Dalton lit out for a revival meeting about eight or nine months ago, got there. And we averaged anywhere from seven to 11 people every night. That dear pastor was embarrassed, disheartened. You know what I did? I got up every night and preached like his a million people in that congregation. His faithfulness was helping me. There's going to be somebody, I mean a whole lot of somebodies at the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be so many preachers that pastored a church on a dirt country road somewhere, worked 50 hours a week, Nobody knowed their name. Nobody knowed who they was, but yet faithfully every Sunday morning, Sunday night, praise God, Wednesday night. My wife has, was uh, fellowshipping with me the other day and she made mention of that phrase, little flock. She said, John, I like that little flock business. I said, I do too. And they had a little flock, but they loved it and they took care of it. The light the faithfulness. Hurriedly tonight, he was a light in a place of darkness. That's why God didn't give him nowhere to go. He was alive in a place of death. Jeremiah, we dare not think much of ourselves, but we do have life from God. A Bible life, thank God for that. A blessed life, thank God for that. But Jeremiah, he had a battle in life. The battles. Probably more battles within than without. Ain't that where we're at? The struggles within, not the struggles without. He nextly was led of God to be there. Led of God to be there. God put him there. That's why we ain't got nowhere else to go. God put me here. Brother David, tell the truth. Expose me for everything I am tonight. If I'm fixing to tell a lie, expose me. I did not ask to preach this meeting. Did I? I have never asked to preach a meeting. Now, I'll try to kick a door open at a wedding or a funeral or something because most of them are dead anyways and this is going to be dead. At least I can preach. Say amen right there. <laughs> Ain't but one difference between a wedding and a funeral anyways. <laughs> one you can smell the fires, the other you can't. Say amen right there. That was a joke. I really don't believe that, but Jeremiah trying to get a response out of the congregation tonight. He was led of God. God put him there. It was the will of God. I stand here. I believe with all my heart. I hope you can say this wherever you're at. Believe it all, my God-given heart. Stand before you tonight in the perfect will of God. I have no reservations. You pastor in your churches in the perfect will of God. You better be careful lest you get like Jeremiah, disheartened and discouraged. And say, oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place, a wayfaring man. He was led of God. I was talking to a preacher's son one time. His dad had went through a struggle at the church. The church had declined. And I said, you think your dad 
may throw in the towel at this particular place, find him somewhere else. And he just looked at me and didn't have to think about it, hesitate, pray about it or nothing. He said, no. I just looked at him and he said, no. Daddy knows God put him here. Daddy knows God put him here. You get out of God's will, you might not never get back in. But then lastly, and I'm done, who would you have to sing our invitation tonight? Rain's family, if y'all come just gather around, sing us an invitation. My last point. Boy, it, it was a struggle in my studies today, Brother Price, not just to lay down on this point. God kept him there by the lessons that he learned just by staying put. You'll learn more just staying where God's got you at. Stay put! One lesson, and I'm done. One lesson that Jeremiah learned was that God is faithful. Could we go to Lamentations chapter number 3 tonight, verse 22? It reads like this, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah learned the congregation ain't going to be faithful. Jeremiah learned men, women, boys, and girls will let you down. Your husband and your wife may let you down. But God is faithful. God will do what he said he'd do. We're standing all over the tabernacle.